James chapter 4 text is going to be verses 13 through 17 since this is New Year's Eve and we're anticipating the dawn of the year 2024 tomorrow. I just wanted to take a moment to consider the biblical way to make plans for the coming year. James chapter 4, starting at verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. If any of you find yourselves tonight singing or maybe just listening to the classic New Year's song, Auld Lang Syne. The lyrics might be a little bit of a puzzle since they haven't changed significantly since they were first written by a Scottish poet named Robert Burns, who writing over 300 years ago was already pining for Auld Lang Syne or times long past. Right? And so... You know, my best Scottish accent, should odd acquaintance be forgotten and never brought to mind. You know, the, the, the poet Robert Burns was on my mind this week, not because I'm an expert in 18th century Scottish poetry. I know you're going to be shocked to find that out, but because of the time of year and particularly because of our text this morning. Well, Auld Lang Syne is probably the most famous poem. He was actually quite prolific, and in 1785, Burns described plowing a field for planting, and in the process of plowing a field, he wrote a a, uh, poem called To a Mouse after seeing he had inadvertently destroyed a mouse's nest. So he was, after seeing that, contemplating sort of the unexpected nature of catastrophic events, how that must have taken that mouse by shock and realizing that what had befallen that mouse could just as easily happen to him, Burns famously wrote, the best laid schemes of mice and men often go awry. His contemplation over that poor mouse's fate caused him to consider his own and with great sadness he concluded about his own future that going forward I cannot see I merely guess and fear our text this morning James addresses that same concern uncertainty about the future knowing that our plans might come to nothing now for clarity's sake in this text James is not rejecting the wisdom of making plans for the future. In fact, many times the Bible speaks that it is very prudent to plan ahead. For example, Jesus asked what kind of king would go out to war without first 
estimating his chances of success or what kind of man would start building a, a project without figuring whether he'd be able to complete it first. The sin is not in making plans for the future or even in putting in effort to make those plans come to fruition. James here is dealing with the arrogant practice of being presumptuous about your future without including God in the equation. James is teaching a lesson that will serve us well in the coming year. Your sole source of confidence in facing a future that you don't know is through obedience and faith to the God who you do know. So let's first consider what James is telling us about the kinds of people in our text. Verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Now, James here is talking about Christian folks, I think, considering his tone that they ought to know better. In James's day, there were many Jewish merchants, and I'm sure many of them believed in Jesus, who made their living by traveling to uh, different areas of the world buying and selling goods. As, as towns sprung up and, and trade routes developed, each, each individual town would become uh, sort of specialized in its own product like wool or gold or even one city became famous for ISAV. If you remember Lydia in the book of Acts, Lydia was from Thyatira and she was a seller of purple cloth because that became what Thyatira was known for. She had a specific product that she brought to a new area. And so those first words there, come now, is essentially the New Testament way of saying, listen to this, come on now, pay attention. It's a very abrupt way of, of getting the idea across. Listen up, I want you to get this. And he specifies the group that he's talking about when he's saying, you who say. And the word he uses for say there means to speak something that's based on reason or based on logic. And so James gives this picture here of a, a business person who thinks that they can run their own life. This businessman is very practical in the sense that he has had some logical and well-thought-out plans for the future. The plans, I know this is a short little verse, but we get the plan in, in kind of detail. It shows how well-thought-out it is. This businessman is not being careless or spontaneous. He has thoughtfully and completely developed a plan. He's determined the best way to, to implement that plan. We'll leave today or tomorrow and he knows exactly where he's going it is to such and such a city you know it doesn't mean just you know any city that we might find but a specific place in mind and he even knows how long it will take him to accomplish his goal we'll spend there a year and his objective is in mind we'll buy and sell we'll make a profit now let's just stop for a moment and and consider a question is that businessman's planning sinful? Is it wrong to have a plan for the future? After all, don't we have to do a certain amount of planning for our future? We, we go to work today in order to get a paycheck in the future. If you're in school, you are 
studying in hopes of getting a degree, right? In individual classes, you're paying attention to the material because you want to pass the test, right? Future planning in and of itself is not sinful. The problem is not in what this businessman is saying or doing, but the attitude with which he is saying and doing these things. It isn't that he has developed a plan. The problem is the way he has developed the plan. He is not taking God's will for his life into consideration. So in verse 13, James begins by describing the kind of person who makes these plans without any consideration of the will of God. And then in verse 14, he begins to explain why exactly this man's planning is so foolish. He says, whereas... You do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. First off, you don't know the future. You don't know what will happen tomorrow, James says. We sing, I don't know about tomorrow and just live from day to day. And, and this is true. We don't know all the details about tomorrow. We're not only ignorant of what tomorrow will bring we don't know what the next five minutes will bring. Proverbs 27 verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what the day may bring. Only God knows what's going to happen tomorrow. And so, wouldn't it make sense to include the one individual who knows what's going to happen into your plans for what you're going to do? Instead, even Christians, and remember that's who James is writing to, even Christians will make plans about what job they'll hold, what church they'll attend, what person they'll marry, what house they'll buy, what classes they'll take, what, what retirement is going to look like, and never seek God's will along the way. So James reminds us that those kinds of plans are foolish because, listen, you don't know what the future holds. Second, that kind of planning is foolish because in one sense, you do know what the future holds. You know this life ends in death. You don't know when that's going to happen, but James seems to indicate it might be sooner than you're expecting in verse 14. What is your life? It's just a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. It says your life is like the morning fog that quickly disappears when the sun comes out. You don't know when that end is going to be. And that's true of all of our lives. Back in James chapter 1, verse 11, he compares the lives of some folks to um, grass. And the sun comes out and, and early and it, it's hot and very soon that grass withers away. We're here and we're soon gone. This might remind us of the man that Jesus described in the Gospels. Just see how many times in Jesus' description that I'm about to read, this man makes his own plans and does not consider God in his plans. From Luke chapter 12, verse 16 through 19, it says, He spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. I will say to my soul, 
Soul, you have so many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Capture just how self-focused that man was. God had given him a great blessing in his farming, and if he had sought God's will, what would he have done with that bounty? Perhaps he could have used it to be a blessing to other people, but instead he got self-centered. I'm going to save it. I'm going to be rich for years to come. Jesus goes on to say, God said to him, fool, this night your soul shall be required of you. Then, the, then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he that lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Right? I'm going to save it all. No, <laughs> you're going to die. It is arrogant of us to be presumptuous about tomorrow simply because we don't know what's going to happen in the future or even if we will be here in the future. Furthermore, it is the height of foolishness, Jesus says, to lay up for yourself treasure without being rich toward God. And so if that's not how we should be, how should we be? Well, James says in verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. It is the will of God that is the ultimate determining factor in all of world history and in each one of our lives. Proverbs 16, verse 9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 19, 21 says, There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that shall stand. The future is simply not in our hands. We cannot determine for ourselves what the future will bring any more than we could have caused the past to happen according to our own plan. It's going to unfold according to the Lord's will. But there are a couple of perspectives about the will of God for us to keep in mind. When the Bible speaks about the will of God, it isn't just speaking about the outcome of all things according to his sovereignty. That is the prescriptive will of God, or sometimes called the sovereign will of God. When God says this is what will happen, then that is what will happen. That is his will. But there is also the revealed will of God in the sense that he has revealed his will for our character and for our behavior. He has outlined Christian principles and and godly morals and and holy behaviors in his word and in that word has thoroughly equipped us for all good works that is his revealed will your life is best lived confidently in both of those and Jesus is our example in this he not only accomplished the sovereign will of God he also lived out the revealed will of God perfectly I mean can you imagine Jesus modeling this kind of arrogant presumption saying without regard to the will of the father right today or tomorrow I'll go to such a city and I'm going to buy and sell and make money instead what did he model 
Well, John 5.30, I can do nothing of myself. I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. In John 6.38, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus models for us an attitude and action of always doing the Father's will, what the Father approves of. And so when James says in verse 15, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. He's not just saying for us to right, add some words to our vocabulary because as long as you say these words, whatever you're going to do is sort of you know, miraculously sanctified. Lord willing ought to be more than just words that are second nature for us to say. It ought to be a genuine heart and thought for us at every moment. He's outlining obedience to God's will like Jesus was obedient to God's will. This lining up with God's will is not just saying God willing or if God permits, I'm going to do such and such. But this is the attitude of, I'm going to plan to do those things which God has said are good to do. Unless you line up your life according to God's revealed will in Scripture, you can still end up making plans for your life that are total rubbish. And tacking Lord willing onto those plans is not going to make them any better. This week, I'm planning on robbing a bank, Lord willing. I'm going to cheat on my wife, God permit it. I'm going to run the pastor over with my car, if the Lord permits. You know, those, those words do not sanctify our actions. James is telling us that our heart ought to actually have a desire to do God's will in all things so that we go to Scripture and we see what God's revealed will is. These are the things that God says are good and right and holy, and we have a real desire to do those things. You might think, oh, you know, Brother Jason, that's ridiculous. Nobody does that. (laughs) Honestly, how many of us in the room right now already have a plan to engage in some sin or to neglect to do something that we know is right to do and yet still pretend to have the Lord's blessing on our future? Probably more of us than we would dare admit. Listen, when it comes to God's will, I know that there is much that Scripture will not tell you about God's will. You are not going to be able to open to the book of second opinions and discover whether or not you should have a scoop of green bean casserole at the fellowship lunch today. Right? That's not how God's will works within Scripture. But all the plans we make for our future are beyond Simple things like that, right? And until you're looking into this book and seeking the principles and precepts of God for his people, this word that is good for doctrine and reproof and for correction and for righteous instruction, until you've done that, 
to see what is it that God says is good and right to do, then you are not planning for your future the way that God has designed. You're not doing it in accordance with his will. In fact, James says in verse 16, but now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. When we foolishly presume, that is not a good thing. In fact, James goes beyond saying that. He calls it ignorant in the literal sense, right? Because you don't know what's going to happen. And now he calls it arrogant. He says all such rejoicing, all that bragging is evil. And, and why is it evil? It's because without God in the accounting of your plans, all that's left for your planning is me. Like the rich man who Jesus said thought within himself, what shall I do with what I have? This is what I will do. I will pull down my barns. I will build bigger barns. I will keep this profit. I will tell my soul, I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to to eat, drink, and be merry because I've got it made. It's sinful in its arrogance. It's sinful because that kind of planning ignores God, and it's sinful because we know better. Look at verse 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. We get caught up in this idea of doing something wrong, that sin is just doing something wrong. Well, let me ask, up in verse 13, where someone planned to go to a city and to buy and sell and make a profit, have they done something wrong? Is traveling or is buying or is selling or is making a profit wrong? None of those things are intrinsically wrong, but the attitude of arrogance is wrong and the refusal to include God's revealed will in the equation is wrong. And so the same is true for us in the coming year and for the rest of our lives. Leaving God out of all those things that we plan is wrong because sin is not just something that you do. Sin can also be failing to do what you ought to. So we sin by commission when we perform some evil act or say some wicked words or have some tactless and tasteless thought. All of those are sins of commission. Those are sins of actually doing something wrong. But there are also sins of omission. When we know the right thing to do and we don't do it, that is just as sinful. When we do what we know we shouldn't, or we don't do what we know we should, both of those are equally sin. And both come with dire consequences. And so when we read James's text here, we know the wrong way to do things. All I have to do to be wrong is to plan things with this attitude of presumption that despite my ignorance and my arrogance i'm going to carry it out through my own power what do we need to do to be right well thankfully he tells us what's right he instructs us on how to make plans in verse 15 instead you ought to say if the lord wills we shall live and do this or that there are numerous examples in the new testament 
of not just saying if God wills, but also living in that attitude. In Acts 18, verse 21, Paul told the Ephesians, I will return again to you, God willing, in 1 Corinthians 4.19, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. And then later in the letter he says, I will not see you now on the way, but I hope to stay with you a while if the Lord permits. Well, what's Paul saying in those places? He, he needed to make some plans, right? I mean, he's traveling around the world proclaiming the gospel. He needs to make plans. And he had sought the Lord's will and essentially said, here's my plan if that's God's plan. Our plan should be to follow God's plan for us, not just what we plan for ourselves. Look, God's plan is going to be the best thing for us anyway. I've gotten my own way too many times to think that that's a good thing. You seek the Lord's will, and when you think you understand it, follow it. Make plans to be in conformity with God's revealed will, and then also recognize that God has a sovereign will. He might have a different plan. So when you plan for the future, go to Scripture, see what it is that Scripture says is good and right and holy and make plans accordingly and then also recognize that God has perfect authority to readjust those plans anytime He wants to. When it comes to specific questions about God's will, we need to make sure any plan we make is done through studying his word and prayerfully asking for his guidance. Every wise Christian should seek the Lord's leading for their plans in life. If you're thinking about marriage, don't plan for that without asking what it is that God wants. If you are contemplating College, ask yourself, what is it that God would have you be prepared to do? If you're thinking about a career change, you need to prayerfully seek God's guidance and not just make your own plans. If the time comes that you're planning to move, the plan has to be made by asking, where is it that God wants me to be and how is it that I'm going to serve him when I get there? Don't make service to him an afterthought. If you are contemplating retirement, don't just think, well, am I ready to be done working? Ask yourself, what is it that God wants me to be doing with my time when I find that I have more time to do? Most importantly, when making plans for your future, make sure that you are planning long-term enough. For every one of us, if we could start right now and kind of like lay out a, a timeline for our life, right? Our plan, our timeline for the future, how far would that go? Do you know how we think? Well, I, I hope I have a few more good years. I would like to see grandchildren. I would like to see children. I want to see this person grow up. I want to see this person graduate. There are things that I hope that I live to see. All of those kinds of thoughts are projecting a timeline that ends with our death. But not only does James here say that you don't know when that death will come, the reality is we know that if you could 
draw out a timeline of your life, death is only one small point on that timeline, and your life is going to extend far beyond that point. The line keeps on going into eternity. And the God who created heaven and earth has made preparations for the eternal future of his people, not just the coming year. The Lord Jesus Christ came to secure salvation for all who trust in him so that we live our lives in obedience to his commands and trust our eternal future to his mercy and grace. For some of you younger folks who have been through King's Kids, we've done our best to drill those principles into your head through singing songs from Scripture. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Or trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths. If you have been in his word and prayerfully asked for his guidance and sought to be submissive to his will, then your planning can be done by following the example of Jesus. You can say the plan going forward is that it is my will to do God's will. And you can be comfortable not knowing what the future holds because you trust the Lord who holds that future. There is this old map that is on display in the British Museum in London which portrays the differences between fear of the unknown and confidence in the unknown. And, of course, it's, it's not a time thing. It's a, it's a geographic thing. This is a mariner's chart drawn in 1525 and it maps out the North American coastline and the adjacent waterways. But at that point in time, much of the North American continent had not been explored yet. And so the cartographer, the guy who was making the map, made some intriguing notations that revealed his fear of the unknown. At one blank point in the map, he wrote, Here be giants. Here be fiery scorpions. And another blank... Here there be dragons. Eventually, the map came into the possession of Sir John Franklin, a British explorer in the early 1800s, and he scratched out all those fearful inscriptions and simply wrote on the map, Here there is God. He is in all places. He is at all times. There is no need to fear what is unknown, when we live in relationship with the one who knows all things. It's not my intention or that of James that we resort to the Robert Burns theory of seeing the future, right? The best laid plans of mice and men go awry. I, I have hopes for the future, but I can do nothing. I just fear cut, cut. catastrophe is bound to happen. But the hope is that in the coming year, your sole source of confidence in facing the future that you don't know is through trust and obedience to the God who you do know.
And he has revealed himself in his word. We should follow his will.